0: Welcome to the UNT-BSM Audio Resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to UNTBSM.com. Thanks for listening. All right, well, it's, <clears throat> it's great to be with you tonight, and uh, <clears throat> every, uh, every good professor has a handout, so I actually prepared a handout for you tonight um, on what I'm going to talk about. So I've been told that you're going to be uh, studying the book of James uh, this semester. And so I want to thank, I know Stephanie's not here tonight, but I want to thank her for the invitation to come and to do this. And I've been given a really, really tall assignment and that is um, I could talk for hours. In fact, I just finished um, teaching last semester at Southwestern a whole semester. The whole semester was nothing but the book of James and so i've been asked to give you an overview of the book in about 20-25 minutes so that is a that's one of the hardest assignments that i've ever had in my life because i could literally talk about this book uh, for hours but i just want to talk a little bit about uh, about the book and uh, what to look for in the book and you have a a plan laid out uh, for the semester to study this book and it's only five chapters so You know this would be a great opportunity for you uh, maybe to set a goal for yourself maybe every day or every two days just read through the book of James. Just read through it over and over and over again because when you do that you begin to see things uh, you know new things pop up and you begin to think about you know what is this saying and um, just reading it uh, reading the text over and over again would be something that you can do because you only have five chapters and you have the whole semester to do this. So as we, as we talk about the book of James and, and kind of give an overview, uh, it really is um, you know, uh, quite the challenge to, to kind of summarize uh, the book. But I want to talk very briefly about um, the author of the book, the audience of the book, and the text. What kind of book is this? And then I want to talk uh, with you about, um, you know, what is the overarching major theme of the letter? What is the emphasis of this book? And what are some things to look for as you go through this book this semester and take it um, one section at a time? And so I've kind of given you something to look at and some reminders to myself about uh, what uh, the, the kinds of things I'd like to talk about. So... To state the obvious, this is a letter. It is the letter of James. It is an ancient letter, um, which means it has an author, and it has uh, an intended audience. And just as all ancient letters would typically do, the author would identify himself, and then he would also identify his audience. This is called the salutation. And Paul's letters begin this way. Uh, Paul identifies himself and he identifies the church uh, to which he is writing. And, and James is also an ancient letter. And so you see in the very first verse, um, the author identifies himself and then he also identifies his, uh, his audience. So tradition ascribes the authorship to James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And I've given you a couple of references that, that you can look at at some point, some other time. But in the book of Acts, uh, also in Galatians, this James is uh, is mentioned. Um, he was a, a very well-known figure. He was um, an authoritative figure. Uh, he was um, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and this is where everything began. This is where the whole thing started, and so he was uh, he was very well known. He only identifies himself, however, as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not identify himself as the brother of Jesus, but simply as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The audience is written to, according to verse 1, the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Now, what in the world does that phrase mean? Well, this likely refers, it's, a, it's actually a Jewish phrase, it likely refers to Jewish Christians scattered outside of their homeland due to persecution. Um, if you later have a chance to look at uh, the book of Acts chapter 11 verse 19, uh, it mentions there that uh, there were those who were scattered because of persecution and they preached the gospel to Jews. And so there were these Jewish Christian Jewish believers in Jesus, Jewish Christian um, congregations scattered outside of the homeland, outside of Palestine. And so this is the, uh, this is the audience. Uh, the letter was intended for several communities, and there is little to suggest a specific occasion. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you read the letters of Paul, um, Paul is writing to individual churches. So 1 Corinthians, he's writing to the church at Corinth. Philippians, he's writing to a church at Philippi. Um, uh, Colossians, he's writing to a church at Colossae. Sometimes Paul will write um, letters to individuals. So you have in your New Testament, you have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. So he's writing to an individual rather than to a church. Here, James is writing not to a community or not to um, a person, but he's writing to communities, plural. Uh, this is, uh, some refer to this letter as a diaspora uh, letter, um, a letter that, uh, that was encyclical. In other words, it was intended to be circulated and read by many different Jewish Christian communities. I have a quote for you on the handout. Uh, this is by a well-known New Testament scholar uh, over in Europe, Richard Balcom. He says this, James addresses not specific, but typical situations, such as he knows it is quite likely his readers in many parts of the diaspora might encounter, and he rebukes typical failings, such as he might think likely to occur in many Jewish Christian communities in the diaspora. So in other words, um, this is intended for several communities. There's nothing to suggest a specific occasion But these are the kinds of things that he knew as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, writing a pastoral letter um, to Jewish Christian communities outside the homeland. These are the kinds of things that would occur and were very typical. For this reason, James uh, has a very, it resonates. It's very, um, uh, the kinds of things that you read in the book of James are the kinds of things that we continue to experience in our day. And so someone can sit down and read the book of James and it just jump, the words just jump off the page. It just seems to apply because uh, these are the kinds of things that we all uh, tend to encounter. So the next thing on the handout is the text. What, what kind of writing is this? I mean, how, how would we describe the text? And I actually kind of put this together just this week. I thought about this. How could I describe what the text of James is? So one might describe James as wisdom literature now wisdom literature is that kind of literature that's timeless it's proverbial it's uh, a a, a wisdom saying is something that has application for all places at all times and James has sometimes been called the wisdom literature of the new testament in the old testament wisdom literature would be books like the book of proverbs um, or the book of ecclesiastes some, some of the psalms are actually wisdom psalms, just timeless truths that seem to apply in every place uh, and to all people. So one might describe James this way. It has this wisdom flavor to it. In fact, in the very center of the book, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, he actually talks about wisdom. And that actually kind of sits in the center of the book, uh, I think, uh, for, a, for a structural reason. So you might describe James as, as wisdom literature that is indebted to the teaching of Jesus. One of the remarkable things about James is that he not, never quotes Jesus. He comes very close at one place in chapter five, but he never quotes Jesus. But the teaching of Jesus is just embedded in the book. You can, you can see his teaching resonating with the teaching of Jesus. And, uh, and this would of course make sense for someone who Um, was the half-brother of Jesus. So it's indebted to the teaching of Jesus. There's a remarkable correspondence, for example, to the book of James and what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Remarkable correspondence. So one might describe this book as wisdom literature indebted to the teaching of Jesus with a strong orientation toward Quote, the end. Now the fancy theological word for this is eschatology. Uh, eschatology comes from a Greek word eschatos which means the last things. And so James has this strong orientation toward last things. Uh, judgment, the final judgment is a theme that runs through the book of James. I've given you a couple of, um, of references here that you can look at. For example the book begins uh, in this way kind of a strange way for the book to begin. I guess you'll begin looking at this next week. The book begins with count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. Isn't that a strange way (laughs) to begin a letter? Just all joy when you fall into trials of many different kinds count it all joy. So how can the believer count it all joy? What's the basis for that? Well he says For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And many scholars believe that James is talking about the final outcome, you know, in the end, the final, the overarching purpose of God that uh, he allows and and allows uh, trials, he sends trials for testing so that our faith is strengthened and endurance when it has its full effect, its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see this again in James chapter 2, another example of focus on the end, uh, James chapter 2 verses 12 uh, to 14. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So speak and act as those who will be judged. So a focus on the end. And one other example would be chapter 5, verse 11, the only place in the New Testament where Job is mentioned. Job is also an example of wisdom literature. And he says in uh, 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Now in Greek, that word purpose is also a word that could be translated end. You have seen the end of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so if you know the story of Job, uh, James is reminding his readers that you've heard of Job, you've heard of uh, of, um, of his uh, how he remained st- uh, steadfast and if you read the story of Job he went through unbelievable suffering unbelievable trials but in the end God restored Job in the end God proved to be merciful and compassionate and so uh, and so James is saying we learn something about um, about life and about trials and about suffering by looking at the story of Job so one of the things you could look for as you're kind of studying the book of James and reading the book of James is look for places where he emphasizes the end, the outcome, the final outcome of all things. Uh, tonight the musicians were talking about that, about uh, we're, we're looking toward the end, the goal, when God will wrap everything up and, uh, and, and, and there will be judgment and salvation. Alright? Now I've often told my classes if I only have one shot at teaching the book of James and giving an overview, there's one passage that stands out and one that I would go to. So let's go to that now. And you have it on your handout. Um, And that is the end of chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. The overarching theme of the book of James can be summed up in the word obedience, obedience. I noticed on the heading here on the, uh, on the screen, faith that does what? That works. Faith that works. Obedience. The overarching theme of obedience is apparent throughout the letter in the many different topics that James raises James 1, 26 to 27 may provide somewhat of a theme statement for the letter. Now, scholars debate everything, okay? And, and, and scholars debate, you know, is there one verse or is there one place that kind of captures the essence of the book? And if there's one place in the letter that kind of captures the overarching theme of the letter, the emphasis of the letter, um, it would be uh, James 1, 26 to 27. So this may provide somewhat of a theme statement suggesting that what the letter is, and I put this in bold print, it is a practical exposition, that word just means an explanation, an exposition of genuine religion. In other words, James is concerned with living an authentic Christian life. What is genuine religion what is true what is true um you can be religious but the you know you can go through the motions you can call yourself whatever i mean you can you know go to a place of worship but what james is concerned about is the practical outworking of genuine authentic christianity Um, what does it mean to be an authentic christian it's not a label that you wear. It's not a place that you go necessarily. But it's living out the truth of God's word in community. And so, um, and so this 126-27 captures that. Now, this is a real, important, um, a real important couple of verses because it is what we would call from a literary point of view a summary transition statement. Now we simply mean by that it summarizes what has preceded it and it looks forward to what's going to follow it. So this section sits in the letter in a very important place structurally summarizing what is preceded and, uh, and looking uh, forward to what, um, to what lies ahead. It is a summary transition and it sets forth three specific manifestations of obedience to the word of God which are then worked out in the rest of the letter, okay? So, let me explain. Notice, for example, the emphasis on obedience in the, in the verses that immediately precede 126 to 27. So, if you have a Bible, um, you can look at 122, but if not, I'll read it for you. Well, you have it on the handout here. 122 uh, says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves actually there's a there's an emphasis uh here's another thing to look for in chapter one james says three times don't be deceived don't be deceived don't be deceived so self-deception a powerful thing isn't it be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, well, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and then he goes away. And at once he forgets what what he, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, and this phrase perfect law is another way to describe the word of God. The perfect law the law of liberty the word of god brings freedom brings freedom it's perfect and it brings freedom the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres or remains there being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing so notice the emphasis on obedience on obedience all right so 126 to 27 gives three specific examples of obedience okay James doesn't leave us wondering well what does it mean to do the word what does it mean to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only what you know what does it mean to remain in the perfect law so James gives us three specific things let's look at it Um, if anyone thinks that he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. There's the word deceive again. This person's religion is what? Worthless. It's worthless. If anyone thinks he's religious, but can't control his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is Pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, how might we summarize these three things? I've given them to you on a bullet point there. Genuine religion has something to do with our speech and what we say. Did you know that in the book of James he has something to say about speech in every chapter of the letter? Every chapter. You go back a little bit in, uh, in, verse one, in chapter 1 verse 19 he says this Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James spends a lot of time on this in chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. You probably have that set aside for one night. Um, The incredibly destructive power of the tongue, of speech. Speech can destroy people, Uh, speech can be incredibly uh, destructive, speech can be incredibly good and beneficial. And so James spends a lot of time, and this is, this is wisdom literature. If you read, the, read Proverbs, Proverbs has a lot to say about our speech, about what we say. Uh, it's hard to control the tongue, isn't it? In fact, James will say in chapter 3, it's impossible for, for humans to control the tongue. Um, and, uh, and so we all know that's true, isn't it? We say something, oh, we wish we could get it back because we said something and it's so hurtful, it's so painful, and I wish I hadn't said it, you know. So James has a lot to say about the tongue. Genuine religion, gen- genuine Christianity uh, is manifest in the way that we, uh, the way that we speak to people. Uh, and the second thing that I put on the bullet point is mercy and compassion toward others. Mercy and compassion toward others. Uh, This is is, uh, from the statement, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows in the ancient world were those people who really um, depended upon others. They had no way to take care of themselves. And so um, mercy and compassion toward others becomes a major, major theme in the book of James. And then the last one, to keep oneself unstained from the world unstained from the world so this theme of the world and the world is that which is opposed to God Um, that which is hostile toward God Um, In fact, James will say later in the letter, if anyone desires to be a friend, the world represents a value system that is opposed to God. James says in James 4, 4, if anyone desires to be a friend of the world, he makes himself an enemy of God. In chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, in that without a doubt the most famous passage in the book where James talks about faith without works is dead he gives Abraham as an example of someone who believed God and he uh, and he acted upon his faith and he demonstrated his faith by offering his son Isaac upon the altar and James says that when he did that he was called the friend of God the friend of God Um, that's a that's an interesting phrase isn't it friend of God, enemy of God. And so being unstained from the world, in other words, the value system that, uh, that a believer should, uh, should exhibit in their life, okay? So um, this is a key passage in the letter, and this, this tells us that obedience is very important, and what I want you to look for this semester is I want you to look for these three things, all right? Now, the last thing we'll do here quickly and we'll be done keys to reading the letter of james giving you three suggestions here that i want you to kind of look for all right so three things that i think are really really important here number one the first chapter of james is unique it is different from the rest of the letter so number one recognize the function of chapter one as an introduction to the whole in other words, in James 1, he sets everything up for the rest of the letter. It's kind of like a, 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 a foyer, you know, walking into a home. You walk into the foyer and it just kind of introduces you uh, to the house. And so chapter 1 is this way. And there's an interesting little structural thing here that James does with, with uh, what, I, what he calls the blessed person. The blessed person. Um, The theme of obedience is strong, but also this notion of being blessed. To be blessed is to have God's favor resting upon you. Uh, When when the Bible says, blessed is the man, the idea is that God's favor is resting upon this person. And there's an interesting thing in James. uh, We mentioned it a moment ago in in, in verse 2. The book begins actually in the original text, the Greek text, the very first two words in verse 2. The way James begins the letter after introducing himself, the first two words, all joy. All joy. And the word joy in Greek is the word karan. The word blessed is the word makarios. You don't really see it in English, but you hear it in Greek. Karan makarios. And that, that is in the dead center of chapter one. Blessed is the man who endures trial. And then he also uses the word blessed of the person who remains, who perseveres in the word of God in verse 25. So this person will be blessed in what they do. So structurally in chapter 1 you have karan, makarios, makarios. It's joy, blessed, blessed. So chapter 1 introduces you know, this theme of the person who is blessed. And the person who is blessed is the person who obeys. The person who... Whose faith is real, the, the 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 authentic believer, this person has God's favor resting upon them. So chapter one is really important. Number two, look for the three marks of genuine religion in the sections that follow. So as you're going through 21 to 13 one night, and you're going through 214 to 26 and 3.1 to 12, and you break this down, look for the three marks of genuine religion. Look, what does he say about speech? What does he say about showing mercy and compassion? What does he say about being uh, stained by the world or keeping yourself unstained by the world? Look for those three themes. You'll be amazed. You'll find those three themes popping up everywhere in the letter if you'll look for them. And then the last thing, read James through the lens of the double love command found in the teaching of Jesus. Now, I could take another hour or two or three and talk about this, but I'll just simply say this. In my opinion, and in the opinion of others, the double what is known as the double love command is what we would call uh, an interpretive grid and uh, in a way to read the letter. In other words, what James is it is an exposition of the double love command found in the teaching of Jesus. You say, Well, what is the double love command? Well, I've given it to you on your handout. It's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 40. Um, Jesus has asked a question uh, What is the greatest commandment? What is, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus answers this way You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. There's no greater commandment than that. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend All the law and the prophets. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? Everything hangs. It's all about that. That's it. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've given you some places, and this is actually Deuteronomy 6, which is the Shema. Uh, This is what uh, faithful Jews recite daily. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Deuteronomy 6. Leviticus 19 is love your neighbor as yourself. And I've given you some places in James where you have, you have what we would call echoes of the Shema. Statements of loving God, loving God. Um, Blessed is the man who endures trial, for he'll, when he's been tested he'll receive the crown of life, which he promised to those who love him. James 1 12. So you have love God. You actually have Leviticus 19 actually quoted in James 2 8. It's actually quoted there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look for that. Look for that in the letter. All right. So chapter one, introduction to the whole, three marks of genuine religion, speech, mercy and compassion, unstained from the world, and then look for the double love command. I'm excited for you because this is a fascinating book. It's really, it really is fascinating. Only five chapters. Read it over and over again. Look for these things. And uh, we'll just pray that God will bless, uh, bless your study and all of those who are uh, entrusted with leading you through this, this semester. I'm going to pray for us. But again, thank you so much for letting me come tonight. And uh, th- thanks to uh, Stephanie for inviting me. And uh, this is uh, a lot of fun for me to do this. So let's pray. Father, I do pray that, um, that you will bless this group and bless their study of your word as they uh, embark upon the study of the book of James. I pray that uh, your word will be powerful in, uh, in their lives and that they will respond to your word. Uh, your, your word confronts us, your word convicts us, um, but your word is faithful, Lord, it is perfect and it, it, it is freeing to us, it points us to you. So we pray, Lord, that, uh, that uh, there will be great fruit and benefit in the study of this book uh, this semester. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.